This is the Two Spies Podcast, studying the Bible in a different way. What does the verse say? What is the topic being addressed? How does this affect me today? Go deeper in Scripture. Now the conversation begins with your hosts, David and Mark. Hey, welcome to Two Spies Podcast. Today we're going to learn how Abraham has the faith of a teenage girl. <laughs> That's true, don't laugh. A teenage girl? Yeah, yeah, just right. wait, we'll get there. Okay, well... <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I've heard I've heard more weird things, but that's pretty strange. But go ahead. I've got biblical basis for this. Oh, well, now, now I'm interested. Oh. Now the listener's like, "What? I'm turning this off." Well, he's got scripture, so you want to hear him out? I guess yeah, it's going to take a while to get there, but yeah. Hey. So uh, I was going to this podcast. Let's see. Well, excuse me, but back up. Last podcast we discussed Ishmael with you. So this one we're going to kind of take the other road. And discuss Isaac. So that was the Ishmael episode. Here's the Isaac episode. Yeah. Uh, for I think we're we're not sure. I think it's Abraham part five or part six. Part six, yeah. Okay. But this is really the Isaac episode. So what we had discussed with Ishmael, though, what we started with was the promises made to Abraham about his descendants. And we discussed how uh, Ishmael's descendants did not match those prophecies. Right. So that's why I wanted to kind of start is look at, some things that show that Isaac does match them. Okay. <clears throat> and I didn't see this before when we discussed Ishmael, but I guess it's, we discussed it anyway, but I didn't really number it to organize it. But Genesis 15 verses 13 through 16, there's five main promises right there that God made. If you want to divide them up, just say what they are. So number one, this is kind of the, just the order they're written. Number one, the offspring, excuse me, your offspring will sojourn in a land that is not theirs. So, number one, your your offspring are going to somewhere, some foreign land. Number two, they will be servants there. They're going to be slaves there. Number three, 400 years. Number four, they will come out with great possessions. And number five, they will come back here in the fourth generation. I used to kind of think there was a, uh, almost like a, general 400-ish years and fourth generation, you know, whichever one comes first. <laughs> kind of like when you get your old change and you need to bring it back in six months or 30,000 miles or whatever. <laughs> Which one, one comes first? <laughs> I just think it's like that, but yeah. either way, uh, I think those are two different ideas, really. So uh, so Ishmael's descendants did not fit this prophecy. Did Isaac's is the question. So what I've done is kind of go through uh, scriptures and just as I numbered those for you, I'll kind of refer back to it and say that meets this number. Okay. Uh, so just to go back over Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, because you you got to go through all these in order to say did they ever do it right. before you see them all fulfilled. So God tells Abraham this one through five, and then later on, uh, that was Genesis fifteen, thirteen through sixteen, in verse eighteen. He recapped for him number five. So it's almost like uh, that's everything's going to happen. Let me give you the good news again. <laughs> Your uh, offspring will come back to this land, number five. And then he doesn't tell the whole list to Isaac that we know of, but Genesis 26, 2, the Lord said to him, that being Isaac, verse three, sojourn in this land to your offspring, I will give these lands. So there's the number five again, number five promise. Uh, Genesis 28, 13. And 19 kind of tells you about Jacob, and God gives him the number five again. The uh, the land on which you lie, will I will give to you and your offspring. 
And then he tells you in verse 19 where that land is. Then we get to Joseph, and we see the uh, number one and two was your offspring will go to a, a foreign land, and there'll be servants there. So we see Joseph, uh, Genesis 37, 25. Looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead on their way down to Egypt. And skipping through some verses, 26, 27, 28. Then Judah said, because he's speaking to his brother, trying to say, let's not kill him, let's sell him, yeah. uh, trying to save his life. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. In verse, uh, yeah, verse 28, they took Joseph down to Egypt. So we see right here, here's the beginning of number one promise that God made to Abraham. Uh, let's see. And I'll kind of jump through because I don't want to read every single thing to you. We do, do jump into Exodus here. So Exodus 1.1. There's the number one promise again taking place. Israel came to Egypt. And like I said, this is that's verse one. Uh, the first chapter gives us the first two a couple of times. Let's skip it down to verse 10. You start seeing right here the Egyptians saying, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply, dot, 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 escape from the land. So the Egyptians are thinking about them as possessions. They don't want them to go. Verse 11, this is the next verse, uh, they, being the Egyptians, they set taskmasters over them, that being the Jews. So they're at number two again, the, the servanthood or the slavery part. And 13, they made the people of Israel work as slaves. 14 says it again, work as slaves. So we see them going down there. That's the promise number two. Number three and five is a timeline issue which, let's see, number three was 400 years. They're going to be there 400 years, and they're going to come back here in the fifth gen- or the fourth generation is number five. This is the one I bogged down and spent the most time in. <laughs> there is a really, really simple, easy way, and then there's a long, hard way. So, <laughs> so the simple way is Exodus 12, 40 and 41. And you and I talked before about uh, if the dates are there, why are they there? And if they're all rounded up numbers, yeah. And why are they so specific sometimes? Plus, why do some other people quote some things if it's just a generalized concept? But uh, so there's these verses twelve uh, Exodus twelve forty, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was four hundred and thirty years. At the end of four hundred and thirty years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So this is one of those things I, I bogged down in it because that's the easy way. Bam, the Bible tells you 430 <laughs> years to the day. Yeah. So the hard way is trying to find all the dates and everything yourself and work your way through the this guy's how old when he has kids and how old when he dies, et cetera, and add all those up to see who came down and who's one left and how many years is between that. So did you do did you do the <clears throat> math? I did. Like I said, I wasn't going to bog us down right here on the podcast with it. I'm kind of curious how how close was it going based on just Bible um, people and counting their age and estimating some. some. Yeah, there is some. You've got to estimate some, but there is some issue with the line of Levi because in Exodus 6, it gives you Levi lived to be 137. It tells you that Kohath, his son, lives to be 133, and his son, Amram, lives to be 137 also. And then Aaron and Moses, they live to be 123, 120. It doesn't tell you how old Levi is when he has Kohath. Hmm. 
So you can't just add them all consecutively together. All right. If you could, it it would work out really neat. <laughs> because uh, Levi, Kohath, and Amram all added together would be 407 years. Plus Moses, 80 years when he came out, would be 487. But I've estimated that Levi was around 80 years old when he came to Egypt. So you would basically leave it at 407. But like I said, the pro- problem there is when we did the timeline back in Genesis 5 and 11, mm-hmm. you take this guy is born on this year and he is 60 years old when he has a kid. You don't add his death date year. You add his when he had a kid. So if we don't know that, we can't be exact in this. Sure. So uh, I don't know how much. Let's see. I'll give you this little rundown right here. There's two years I had to estimate. For the most part, you can calculate the rest of these. You can know which date they are. But to get through Egypt, getting through the Egyptian exile, you have to trust uh, Exodus 12, 40, and 41. There's 430 years. And, you know, that specific concept that it gives us on that very day, it's like, well, that's, that's dead on, right? That's why I had texted you yesterday and said, did you tell me that Ezra wrote Kings? Right. Either way, you you, had, you said you think it's Jeremiah. Yeah. <clears throat> if it's Jeremiah, great. But First Kings base, bases the dating of Solomon's beginning to build the temple off the concept that this is pre, a precise and known date. So here's the wording, First Kings 6.1. In the 480th year after the people came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Zeb, which is the second month, which is in the second month, excuse me, it is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. Either way, he refers back to this time when they came out of Egypt. They've been keeping track of their time. Right. They know what's going on. Is it, is it not said in Chronicles that same I didn't check time. out to see exactly because if I get in Kings and Chronicles both and start trying to flip back and forth, it'll only get worse from here. <laughs> <laughs> There's sometimes where I sit down in the mornings to, to, you know, read and study and stuff and get in some kind of devotional mind. And I just want to, I want to do some numbers and <laughs> I want to do some dating. And I'll flip, if I start flicking back and forth between those, I'll start following this king, and he taught this prophet, and I'll follow that prophet and find him in some other book. And before long, I've got my finger in five places. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, I didn't didn't go over to Chronicles. I just wanted to point that out because when they came out, they've been keeping track of time since then. They were keeping track of time before they went to Egypt. We know exactly uh, Adam forward, AF dating, from the time of the day of Adam to the day that or I should, well, actually it is giving us the day to the day that Jacob stood in front of Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, you can live here. We can, we can literally put that on a date. So through Egypt, why wouldn't somebody be keeping track of time a little bit? Right. But, uh, so to kind of bang it out, you know, fast, because we've talked about some of this before we left off with Abraham, I guess, last in the AF dating, Abraham was born in the year 2009 <clears throat> so uh, let's see. He has Isaac at 100 years old. That's 2109. Isaac has Jacob at 60 years old. That's 2169. This is where it gets kind of jump back and forth stuff. But Jacob meets Pharaoh at 130 years old. This marks uh, Israel's official uh, official coming into Egypt. And if you add basically from the date the date he is born, 2169. 
plus 130, you get 22.99. So you can say, do your 22.99, there he stands. If we take what uh, Exodus 12, 40 and 41 say, we can basically add 430 years to that. And we got a date of when they came out of the of Egypt in the Exodus at 480 more years. And that basically sets the building, the, the beginning of the building of the temple hmm. from the very first page of the Bible all the way to there. Hmm. Plus you can number all the Kings to the very end of the destruction yeah. of the temple. That's when it gets hairy to try and follow them through an exile. The, <laughs> the Egyptian exile is much easier than the Babylonian exile, but either way, if my, my main point to all this though, if you don't trust the Bible, if you don't trust Exodus 12, 40 and 41, you can't pin it down through Egypt because I, I tried and tried and tried and tried. So, <laughs> but so uh, Jacob is standing in front of Pharaoh at 130 years old. How old is Joseph at this point? He's told his brothers there's been seven years of plenty and two years of famine. Nine, seven, two, nine. He came to the throne at 30 years old. So Jacob is, uh, Joseph is 39 years old. He's the only son we can actually date how old his father was, Jacob, when he had him. So he was 91 years old when he had him. Mm. <clears throat> so trying to figure out how old Levi was, because in Exodus, we don't have how old Joseph was when he had his sons. But Joseph being a, a son of a father and Levi being a son of that father, you can call them the same generation, even though they're not exactly the same generation. Um, so we back up to Esau for a second. Esau was 40 when he took wives in Genesis 26. They're twins. So Jacob is also 40. It wasn't long after this that Isaac, uh, let's see, is it Genesis 27? I think Isaac blesses Jacob instead. And then right after that, he takes off to Laban's house. So he's running for his life right after he did this. And we can kind of assume he's still around 40 years old. Um, when he gets to Laban's house, he works seven years for a wife. He gets Leah, remember? He has mm -hmm. to do her bridal week, and then he gets Rachel. He's still got to work seven more years, but he's already having kids with them. Right. So at this point, he's about 40-ish. He's worked seven years, so about 47. So he starts having kids maybe in the first year, I don't know, in the first two years, three years at the most, right? Because Leah was... The one who was real fertile, bam, 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 four sons. Right. Levi's the fourth son. So let's say if he started around 47, then Levi was born around the time Jacob was 50. So if Jacob was 50 when Levi was born and he was 91 when Joseph was born, he's, uh, what is that, 40 years old? Yeah. I'm getting lost in numbers, but he's about 40, 40 years old. Yeah. And then J uh, J they come down to Egypt when Joseph is 39, so Levi is going down to Egypt at about 79 to 80 years old. You don't think about it that way. Well. You think they're all like the Brady Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> they're all the same age. But so these brothers, this little kid pops up with a many colored coat and says he's going to be the king, right? And then so you start doing the math. It's like these are 40 and 50-year-old men sitting around listening to this stupid little kid think he's something, <laughs> and that's why they're ticked. Because you don't know nothing, little brat. Get out of here. <laughs> and uh, either way, so that's where I had to do some guessing through it. Here's the one thing on the dating, though. You can go uh, forward 
and then you go to some point that you know in the future and you could work backwards in some things, you can guess two or three things in the middle down to two or three years. So right. I'm, I'm fine to, to rest on this and say that we can know this. Let's see. Uh, that was when Jake, when Esau took the wives and Jacob runs, that's 2209. 2216 is when he serves Laban for seven years to get a wife. So that's what makes him around 47, 48 years old when he starts having kids. 2220 is when I'm guessing, I'm giving it about four years there, is when Jacob would be 50 years old when Levi's born. But we do our math kind of backwards uh, to see when Joseph was what age. Joseph comes to the throne at 20, in 2290. So 2299 is when he calls his father down. And they move, the whole Israel moves down there, and Pharaoh says, Y'all can stay officially. So that brings us to the year 2299. You can do your math from here forward, or you can do it from 430 years, blah, 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 after this right here, backwards to find a lot of dates in the middle. But so, I mean, you can literally date the, the year when Genesis ends and when Exodus picks up. And when Exodus ends, I, sh- well, I shouldn't say picks up, I don't think I have a date on the beginning of Exodus. But either way, I tried to nail down in all this 400 years <laughs> through these. It's super hard to do if you don't just want to trust the statement that Moses writes down in Exodus 12, 40 and 41. No. Uh, generations wise, much, much shorter. Jacob has Joseph. Joseph is the same, you know, kids generation, at least Levi. Levi has Kohath, Kohath has Amram, Amram has Moses, but Moses did not come back into the land because they'll return to Canaan in the fourth generation. Don't say they're going to come out of Egypt. It says they're going to return to Canaan. I only noticed that because when I think this, uh, Genesis ends and Exodus begins, two different places, it gives you the names of all the people who went down. Levi already had three sons listed in those lists when they come down to Egypt. So he's not waiting until he's 80 going down to Egypt and then having three sons. He's already got Kohath. So Kohath is the one that went to Egypt. So from his generation, are there four generations to what? He has Amram. He has Moses. The next generation is Joshua. There's your four generations. Joshua is the one who went back into Canaan. So one more thing then. Those, those fit uh, all one, two, three, and five. Number four is the only one we hadn't talked about yet. That's the plunder. Are they going to come out rich or not? Exodus 12, 35, the people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them. For they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing. Verse 36, and the Lord had given them, have given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So they uh, let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So in the end of all this, Isaac's descendants easily fit the prophecy given to Abraham. Yeah. Not to rehash back to what we talked about with the differences between Islam and Christianity. And, you know, they say the Jews or Christians, probably Jews, um, were the ones that just kind of changed the name. But they had to do more than just change the name. They had to... The Jews had to cover up a lot of stuff in order for um, Esau to be the chosen one instead of Isaac. Yeah. So um, that's what they was kind of— They had to plan to become slaves in a foreign country for 400 years and know they could get out of it at the end of that? 
and mess with Egyptian history records. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you got, you got to do a lot to yeah. change this whole thing. You know, it's not just, um, Oh, the Jews got the, these records and, and in order to put them on a high horse and everyone else down, they're going to scratch out this name. They had to like do a lot of manipulation if they did it. Yeah, so I mean, did. so it was just too much around for, um, this to, that's what David's, you know, thing was, is yeah. you're going through all this. You got to do a lot in order to say that this is not the working of God. It's not through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, it's like and people Jacob. claiming that Paul is the one that convinced us that <laughs> Jesus was God, etc. He had to also convince James, Peter, John, and Matthew, <laughs> and Mark, and Luke. Yeah. To agree with all that and write it all in their stuff too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially John when he wrote Revelation. I mean, yeah. the things he says. So Yeah. What you got? So uh, we'll just kind of continue um, now. You know, obviously, kind of going back, you have Abraham and Sarah, the promise, and and uh, they do it on their own, like we talked about last week. And eventually, they finally have a son. Um, just a couple of things with Sarah's laughter. I wrote um, Sarah's laughter in Genesis eighteen was a response and disbelief towards God, and Sarah's laughter in Genesis twenty one was a response of rejoicing towards God. So. Um, you know, we, throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures, you kind of see, um, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of fast forward real quick to um, John, the last chapter in the book of John to, um, well, first you have, yeah, flip the pages. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for, well, before you get there, you know, you have Peter denying Jesus, right? And before the rooster crows. And obviously the rooster crows early in the morning. Um so then you fast forward to John twenty one. John twenty one, right? Yep. Um, you know the disciples are on the boat, and Jesus. They see a guy, you know Jesus cooking fish on the island, and and Peter jumps, you know, jumps in the water and starts swimming, and they all have breakfast breakfast with Jesus. So um, this is also early in the morning, and so when they have this conversation, um, more likely Peter's hearing the rooster crow again. So um, what reminded the rooster crow? used to remind him of denying Jesus and here at the same time as hearing that rooster crow, you know, you got to use your imagination a little bit, but, um, now it reminds him of the smell of fish on the grill. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That'd be good. But what kind was it anyway? Um, tilapia. That sounds good. And, um, sorry. I had a guy one time, I don't mean to sidetrack. No, I had you're a fine. guy one time tell me tilapia is the, the only fish in the Bible. Really? Yep, that's the one that uh, was swimming around and uh, the Sea of Galilee that Jesus was cooking on the grill. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, was it the one? Was that also the fish that had the the, the taxes in his yep, mouth? Tilapia. <laughs> <laughs> tilapia, you go. I, don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Tilapia, you go. Okay, I get you. I don't know. That's a T-shirt in the making. Um, but <clears throat> so you have the rooster crowing um, when Peter denies him and. This is breakfast early in the morning. Um, you know, no doubt Peter's hearing the rooster crow. And it's at this time Jesus commissions Peter, hey, feed my sheep. Um, so it went from hearing the rooster crow reminding you of your failure to now every time you hear the rooster crow, you're reminded of Jesus's commission to you. So um, there's that redemption, that same kind of pattern. Here you have laughter and laughter. One was negative um, disbelief towards God and the other, it, it changes into um, the rejoicing towards God, but were you going to say something? 
No, go ahead. Okay. I do have so, some stuff on this right here. And uh, I guess this is, I thought it was later on. This is where we find about Abraham's uh, teenage girl-like faith. Well, if you want to go ahead and <laughs> hit it, I mean. I did, I think it's, yeah, it's already, it should already be out by now. But I did a devotion on uh, Mary asking Gabriel. Yeah, that was out. So like, how are you going to do this? Because he says you're going to have a baby. We just question, uh, Zachariah also just questioned how God's going to do it. But we, you know, we discussed in those, I think you did Zachariah in that one. Mm-hmm. I did Mary in that one. That was the way the sections were divided. But uh, I had to go back and study Zachariah and understand that to, to have a clue what the difference was to understand Mary, to write anything on it. So just coming up with uh, Zachariah shit, because I just wrote down some, or copied some as if I had written already because it was easier than, Trying to reword it. It doesn't make make any sense, right? Uh, Zachariah should know about the faith of Abraham and how all that works. Mary knows a little bit about the birds and the bees, and that takes a man and a woman to make a baby. So Mary believes what Gabriel says is possible, but she's basically asking, how can it happen without two birds or two bees? She's asking a real question. So in this, if you just liken over between Abraham and Sarah and Zachariah and Mary, they were all told that babies were coming. <laughs> Mary asked a logical question in simple ignorance. I don't mean ignorance like you ignorant fool, but I mean in ignorance as in without knowledge, just didn't know why, right. didn't know how. Mary asked a simple logical question. Zechariah doubted giving a reason why not, and age is the excuse. Abraham asked a simple logical question in ignorance. Sarah doubts giving a reasons why, and age is also the excuse. Mm. I mean, it's dead on the same thing there. <laughs> so we know that the mock, we know that Sarah was actually, you said Genesis 18 is the first one, right? Mm-hmm. We know that was a mocking attitude because God's response to her was, why does Sarah laugh? Yeah. Is anything too hard for the Lord? He's saying, why didn't she believe that I can do this? <laughs> he's not saying, why does she, why does she think that's funny? I mean, he's nailing it down for us. Why? So Abraham is marrying this analogy, which paints a whole different picture of his childlike faith. He had the faith of a teenage girl. I mean, I say that to be funny, but that's a good little yeah. Right on. You can. It gives you a whole different picture of how Abraham believed, and God's treating him the same as he as Gabriel treated Mary in this issue. Like, well, here's here's as much as I'm going to tell you, but here's how it's going to work. Hmm. So that was interesting. Oh, so. So Isaac's born, and um, yay! <laughs> the promise comes true. Um, so obviously Sarah laughs and rejoices, and um, they they're both happy that now Abraham has an heir um, to put give all his belongings to. Um, do we kind of hit the sacrifice now? No, we don't we don't want to skip name changes. Oh, okay. Well, go ahead. Just, I mean, yeah. I never had put it together until so I started putting these notes together and just saw it organized. That They got their name changes when yeah, Isaac comes. Yeah. So is there some is there some stuff in there to look at for that? Because it's kind of like, uh, I've been promising you this big deal. Here's the big deal. And I'm going to change who you are. So it's kind of a grace that God shows them, kind of a favor. But I see that in the, the addition of the letter that's added to them also. So... Uh, that's what I was going to ask you. I, I never really looked. Is there a name? I mean, is there a meaning difference between Abram and Abraham? Slightly, yes. Okay. And and uh, Sarai Sarah. and Sarah. Um, 
This comes out of Genesis 17. I guess I'll just read it. 17, 1, 5, 6. And then it skips to Sarah, 4, 15, and 16. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, just in case we didn't know who you're talking about, it's Abram. <laughs> That's funny. Sometimes it's like name it again. No longer, sh- and this is God speaking, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Then going into verse uh, 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai. Sarah shall be her name. I will give you a son by her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. So I, I look at this right here as, as God is promising Abraham in an earlier chapter, Isaac, but he's promising Abraham right here that Sarah is going to have Isaac. Um. So... We say Abraham, right? Not Abraham. That's not it. And you, we know that. But so the first name he had was not Abram, but Abram. You, you, you kind of need to hear this because it's so light. What is added? Abram is made of Ab and Ram. Ab is father. Oh, it means exalted father. Ab is father. Ram comes from Rum, which means exalted or lifted up. So exalted, lifted up, Father. And he adds, God adds the fifth letter, He, to Abram. It does actually, you know, I guess I shouldn't say he adds. He alters the end of the name, and it happens to end the same almost, but it has an additional single letter in it, that being the He. But in reality, it's Abraham, father of a multitude. Because you look at the wording there, he says, uh, End of verse, uh, Genesis 17, verse 5. I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. So you got to kind of say, where'd that come from, right? Um, of course, again, Ab is father, and Haman is the, the one that means uh, multitude, crowd, abundance, murmur, roar, or tumult. So you almost got a picture like uh, a public place with a huge amount of people that are all talking. That's the multitude, the sound of a multitude. So this word kind of crosses over into a concept of sound, but also just in number. So we can easily find this word in Ezekiel 39 with Haman Gog. And it tells you that Haman Gog is basically uh, Gog of the multitude, or Haman means multitude there. So uh, this comes from a verb, Hamach, which is to murmur or to roar. So the, here's the difference in the pronunciation, though. Abram, Abram, Abraham. Just a little, little breath in there. That's all it is. So it's, and let's go ahead and look at Sarai because it, it echoes the same thing. Sarai, S-A-R-A-I, means princess. It comes from Sar. So it's a feminine noun meaning princess coming from Sar, which means prince, ruler, leader, uh, chief, or captain which is a masculine noun of the same, you know, same word. It gets changed to Sarah. He has taken the Yod off the end. I guess we should note this too. Yod, I didn't put this in my notes, but Yod is the 10th letter. So what is 10 in the Bible associated with? You're making it too hard. 
because you already know this. <laughs> ten, uh, Yod is ten. Ten is the Ten Commandments. Ten is the law. You can think about ten as a hammer on the court desk, you know. Yeah. So he, God takes off the Yod. He takes the law off of her, and he puts the the he on the end. So she was Sarai. Now she's Sarah. Now, I'm breathing harder than it really should be, but it's a real soft Sarah. So instead of uh, being princess, it means noble woman. It comes from Sar and Rabbah or Rah. So Rabbah is the same thing basically as uh, Abram. Ram is great or exalted. This is related, I believe, also, I think this is related also to Rabbah or Rabbi, mm. which would be Rabbi. I'm mixing the two pronunciations there, but um, instead of being just Raba, it also has a form of Ra. I was looking basically Todara, Todaraba. Toda is thanks or thank you. Todaraba is thank you very much. But I just happened to run across it in, in my, a secular dictionary, a Hebrew dictionary I have, that it can be Todaraba or Todara. I, I just said it. I felt like I'm not finished yet. Todaraba <laughs> or Todara. But the Ra means the same thing. So Sarah, just noble woman, it's, it's a raised up version of a princess. Mm. So in both of them, the He is added. The deeper meaning I'm pointing to, I think, is that the He is a very soft letter. It's a breath. It's the fifth letter. Five is the number of grace. He takes the law out of her situation puts grace on her situation. The he, the breath, he puts a breath right in the middle of both their names there. What is breath? Uh, a picture type of, and I, I know I'm, I'm looking at extreme uh, remes. It's picture type mystery, you know, hidden meaning kind of stuff. But the Holy Spirit is the breath in the Bible. And to take the law off of her situation and put grace on her situation and, and kind of put the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, their whole lives change here, and they get the promise that's been coming to them. Yeah. Which is, I guess if you look at the, because I find myself with some picture types over a lot of Abraham's life, but when you start discussing it out loud, details start to form in your mind. So they have Isaac, who is the son of promise, who is a huge picture type of Jesus, after Jesus is born, we get the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, after the whole Jesus situation, <laughs> uh, death and resurrection, we get the Holy Spirit. We get this breath that is the new grace of God. And that's kind of what we see right here with them mm. getting that. That's interesting. <clears throat> I don't think it's a stretch. I mean, Sometimes I think it's a stretch, and then I look over to the next page, and I think, there's the same stretch. And I look <laughs> over to the next page, and I'm like, that same stretch is going on here too. So I don't, I don't worry about it. Yeah, I used to think I was, when I was first reading the Bible, finding some of these things like, uh, that's a needle in a haystack. And now it's more like somebody put some hay in that needle stack. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere. Well, it's like when we talk about Psalms and, um, you know, where it talks about where it uses the alphabet, Psalm 119. Yeah. I mean, you could sit there and try and you can't do it. Um, it just seems like, you know, God inter interwoves these things that our finite mind could not comprehend or could not do. And yeah. just like, you know, if you read uh, some of Paul's writings, the way he writes and interprets the Old Testament, it's like 
how did I miss that? Or, you know, yeah. to the Jews, like, how did we miss this? <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's, it was hidden for a reason, the mysteries of God, and then they were revealed. Right. So um, there's things all over the scripture that I think sometimes we even miss, even now with all of our technology and stuff, there are things that um, we miss, which is why it's always good to keep digging yeah. and you always find something. You mean technology to be able to, to search easier. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm amazed sometimes when I, I think about exactly what you just said, that we have computers that we can do word searches through massive text to find every single spot this word shows up and then be able to see an overall range. And then you think back, you know, 100 years ago, some of the church fathers, we, we, we've revered their writings, et cetera, in their commentary. <laughs> and when you go look through the commentary, though, they have some some similar ideas here and there, but they don't have as many scripture references not their fault. They didn't have a computer yet. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I mean it was all, you know, what do you want to call real legwork? Yeah. Memory and memorization and, you know, yeah. just countless hours. I mean, these guys studied like for hours. but Flipping the pages in candlelight kind of <laughs> yeah. study. So, uh, so the name changes and then Isaac's born and um, Ishmael uh, laughs at Isaac or mo- laughs at mockery a little bit. Um, and then um, Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. And now it's just a little happy family, I guess. Um, <laughs> Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. So uh, I think we're now around uh, chapter 21 in Genesis. Sure. The, um, it talks about the birth of uh, Isaac. Yeah. Um, you know, the circumcision and all that stuff. Um, God protects Hagar and Ishmael, like we just talked about. Um, they're sent away, but God still works through that. Um, then uh, there's a treaty with Abimelech and Abraham, which we've already discussed, I believe, um, during Abraham, because I think that was the last thing we really talked about with Abraham. I think so. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, chapter 22. If we with, didn't, just consider it done. Yeah, consider it done. It's <laughs> over. But I, I remember us talking, uh, talking okay. about it. Um, then chapter 22 of Genesis, the sacrifice of Isaac. Um, we did talk about that in the Abraham episode, uh, one of the Abraham episodes, I should say there's still all Abraham, but, um, we wanted to hit on some things quickly. Uh, since we, we have had, have kind of already discussed it in some length at different parts. So I just want to kind of talk about it from like a, not a, tree version but a forest version just an overview right quick because i think it leads nicely into chapter 23 and 24 specifically 24 yeah um so i just basically divided it up genesis 22 verses 1 through 14 is the preparation the trip and the event 15 through 19 is the restating of the oath and the return trip home so what is this whole situation about, because we talked about the picture type that overlays it. So, I mean, you're going to hear me say that a hundred times during this Isaac stuff, because I think there's a ton of picture type overlay in Isaac's whole story. But so to cap it off, I guess uh, we got a father, Abraham. He's a picture type of God who is going, who's going three days towards the death of his son. Who's a picture, who's Isaac, who's a picture type of Jesus. Uh, and to a sense, he loses Isaac to death for three days and receives him back on top of a mountain. He went to sacrifice him on the picture type. There is God sacrificing Jesus, of course, on uh, this 
what we believed possibly be the same mountain or one within a couple of hundred yards in the same little range, but receives him back after losing him to death for three days. So just keeping with the picture type, keeping with the analogy, what happens after Jesus is uh, sacrificed, dies, and resurrects, the beginning of calling in and searching for a bride happens. That's the next main step. So we got to ask ourselves, does this Genesis 22, does this Abraham is God, Isaac is Jesus, does it follow the picture type, and does it keep on going there? And yes, it does. So looking for a wife is the next thing. God's already taken care of it. Uh, starting in verse 20, this is Genesis 22, 20. Now, after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor. Uts his first son born, his firstborn, excuse me, Uts his firstborn, Boots his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazel, Pildas, Yidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel followed Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abram's brother, moreover his concubine, whose name was Ramah, Bor Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Maka. So we've got God taking care of the situation back in Abraham's homeland. His brother is having children, and those children are having children and getting a bride ready in that bloodline yeah. for uh, Isaac. So again, the picture type is uh, death, three days, received back from the dead to life, resurrection and then searching for a wife of the son, all of the son. Uh, I found it interesting that Bethuel is the eighth son. Eight is the number of new beginnings. Since seven is complete, eight is the number of new beginning because it's already completed. So if you're going to do anything else, you're starting again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, either way, Rebecca is the is the, the daughter of Bethuel. But uh, that's that kind of ends chapter 22. Do you have anything to add to that before we head on not really um chapter 23 is pretty much the pro the i guess the bridge from 22 to 24 it's um sarah passes away and abraham realizes or isaac's pretty um hurt obviously his mother passed away and um abraham's hurt and he realizes i think it's reminders that life is temporary we're all gonna pass away um i need to get my son a wife so this uh continues um just a few things about the uh wife um i've heard i've heard um several people you know um, the wife for isaac or or sarah isaac okay do you have anything with actually i did since we're looking at isaac i did nothing for sarah okay i didn't either she's died yeah She's done. 127 long years, but <laughs> yeah, she's done. I, I wish it also say though she died at 127. It kind of puts an age on Isaac for us because she was uh, 90 when she had him, so 37 years old. His mom dies, right? So we can kind of keep that in the back of our <clears throat> mind for how old he is uh, when he gets married, and then when we see him have children here shortly, how old he is. You can see how long that he and Rebecca waited. Yeah. Go ahead though for. 24. I was just going to kind of talk about arranged marriage real quick. Okay. Um, Cause I think it's sometimes we get, um, are you going to do that with your kids? No, <laughs> but uh, you know, sometimes there's all these arguments. How, how can, um, you know, people from the middle East or um, in those cultures, how can you, you know, 
how can you arrange a marriage for your children and, and so forth? And, and, you know, they're looking at us saying, how can you allow, how can you just yeah. let them choose? And, and it's, it's funny you that give them a car and let them go out by their set <laughs> that person unchaperoned. Yeah. And I think so it's easy for us to, to not understand what the, the culture and the concept. I mean, um, I think there's pros and minuses for both. Yeah. Um, I think you think you're just going to run into issues either way, but, um, for arranged marriage, especially during this time, um, you're just going to run into issues. Either way. <laughs> like, there's no good way out. Don't get married. That's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, if my wife listened to this, I really love you, but, um, <laughs> we weren't arranged, but anyway, um, so, um, here, you know, the parents are, are looking for their best interest or for their kids' best interest. They want to find someone that is suitable for their mate and or suitable for the child. And they want to, they're, they're, they're choosing for protection. They're not choosing for, um, uh, I can't think of the word, but meanness. <laughs> yeah. There You're you go. To We're going to get back at them. <laughs> oh, pick this one. For you know, the teenage years. She's ug- yeah. She's ugly. And we, we're going to put you with her. You know what I mean? <laughs> she can't go. <laughs> Good luck with that one, buddy. So, um, so here, you know, they're, they're looking out for their son and, and they want the best for him. So, um, I, you know, just want to kind of emphasize that real quick. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, so Abraham trusts his servant Eliezer. I can't, I can't help it. You want a quick joke about that, right? <laughs> quick joke. <laughs> this kid kept bringing this guy, this, this son kept bringing home girls that his mother hated. His father did like them all, but she didn't like them at all. The mother didn't. Eventually, he because she was always complaining. Eventually, he thought, well, you know, I'll bring one home just like her. Then his father didn't like her. <laughs> 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 I think I'm sure that I told you that before. <laughs> I've never heard. No, yeah, but okay. That's a good one. It's one of the few, like two or three jokes I actually have in my back pocket. That I remember. <laughs> I don't have any other ones? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have too many. Mine are going in circles, but anyway. <laughs> so Abraham trusts his servant Eliezer to find his son Isaac a wife. Um, you know, uh, it doesn't actually mention what. Okay. Uh, the I'm servant, just laughing at what's coming. Oh, um, well, here we go. Um, the servant isn't actually named, but more than likely based on uh, uh, just looking in context and Abraham's uh, servants and all that, who it is, Eliezer is most likely the person. Yeah. Um, Eli- Eliezer and Abraham have built trust to one another. Um, Eliezer's, you know, his servant or his employee or however you want to word it. Um, so they have this trust and Abraham. Like chapter 15, he was going to give him all his stuff if he didn't have any sons. So. Yeah. So they have this, this really tight knit relationship and yeah. he believes that Eliezer will um, find a suitable wife. Um, so it's kind of like, I think it's kind of interesting that El- he's putting Eliezer's trust to the point of finding um, Abraham's son a wife. Yeah. So uh, there's a really strong relationship there that I think is you could easily overlook. Like I wouldn't just tell some guy at work, "Hey, you think you could find my son a wife?" If it was my daughter, no way. I, I kinda, <laughs> couldn't do it. Um, Eliezer trusts that God will provide. So Eliezer has been taught and the way of God, and obviously the him seeing as my, uh, Abraham, you know. Uh, I don't know. Do do the whole faith journey. I don't know. I can't uh, phrase Eliezer it, but... would also be circumcised, yeah. being in Abraham's house, right? So he he's 
He's in covenant with God as far as the covenant has been given at that point. Yeah. And I'm sure Abraham's, I mean, he's teaching him the word of the Lord and all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, and it's a 450 mile journey. So it's a long journey yeah. to this place. So, you know, if, if, and how <laughs> fast does a camel walk? Is the question. <laughs> Did he have a camel? Had 10 camels. That is right. Yeah. Did he ride the camel or did he walk them? I don't know. But I don't they know that had culture. To, whether he walked beside them or rode them, they still walked the same speed that they walked. Well, that's true. <laughs> the average person walks two or three miles an hour, I believe. Yeah. So the average camel does too. So it, it took them a good while. They can run, I want to say that it gets up to around 20 miles an hour, but they can't hold that. It, no, I think it was 16 miles an hour, but they can't hold that for a long time. So this journey, I did a little math on it because. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to know. <laughs> Ten camels. Average camel walks two to three miles an hour. It's about, I had did with five mile, 500 miles. Uh, I just basically marked the average spot from Canaan to average spot near well, we're, Iran. We're close. We're not too At far. three miles an hour walking eight, mile, eight hours a day, this would take about 20 days one way. This is a 40-day round trip. 40? 40. 40. That's cool. interesting. That's very interesting. So. <laughs> Anything else kind of going into this whole part? Elias are searching or going? Most everything I got left is about this. Okay. You go for it. <laughs> uh, I'll just interject my points when you. Yeah. Jump in at any time because <clears throat> everybody will get bored if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, and like I said, you're going to hear me say the word picture type a hundred times. Just go ahead and be ready now because. <laughs> It's thick in here. <laughs> uh, Genesis 24 is the longest chapter in Genesis. It's all about getting a wife for Isaac, and it's the longest chapter. So, it's about getting a wife for the son. This picture type bleeds on over, and Isaac continues to be a picture type of the son, Jesus Christ. Abraham continues to be a picture type of... God. Eliezer, whose name means God's helper, is a picture type of the Holy Spirit. The Father sends the Holy Spirit to get a bride for the Son. The Holy Spirit is our comforter or our helper. He is God's helper. He helps us. But he is retrieving or, or attempting to retrieve as many people as possible to join in what's called the bride of Christ, which is the church. So, uh, that kind of said, if this is the longest chapter in Genesis, what's the subject matter at hand? Getting a wife for the son. What is the longest period in church history? Getting a bride for the son. This is still going on right now. And technically, LA, not technically, uh, idiomatic, no, analogously, <laughs> <laughs> in, in analogy, the Holy Spirit, Eliezer, is still in Nahar getting the bride mm. right now. We have not finished the journey back yet to see the sun. But uh, so I'll, I'll kind of go through Isaac first, and I'll give you the points as we go, like one, two, three, four, what the points are. And then we'll look at those same exact points and see how, if they do or do not apply to Jesus. Okay. Uh, the servant goes to get Isaac's bride. Number one, ritual or oath. This is why I'm laughing a second ago because this, to us, this is just odd. 
but it has some actual founding and in, in history and cultures. Uh, the ritual oath I'm talking about is the hand under the thigh. It had two possible understandings as far as like rabbinic notes, etc. Um, number one, it's swearing on the posterity or the seed. Number two, it is submission. Somebody's sitting on your hand. You're submitting to them. All right. Okay, so to go back to the first one, though, swearing on the posterity of the seed, what does the thigh have to do with the seed? This is understood by, by rabbis traditionally as being a euphemism. That, be, that means a replacement word. Like in cussing, dang or dern is a euphemism for damn. Right. So, and many other, any other, you know, <laughs> we, we replace the F word with other F words sometimes because we were trying to not cuss. Right. Well, we're just using a euphemism. We mean the same thing. So euphemism <laughs> means it's just yeah. replacing it. The scripture is trying to find a very uh, nice way to say it appears by rabbinic tradition that Eliezer is putting his hand under Abraham's thigh to touch his testicles because that's the, where his seed is coming from for his posterity, for his descendants. So uh, the English word testify, which is what he's doing. I'm testifying. I'm going to go get your son a, a bride comes from the Latin word for testicles. <laughs> They're related. So when I did some, let's see, I didn't write it all down. I did tons of reading on this right here. I thought it was odd. So it got me into two different trains of thought. In the old Roman culture, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to say this as PG as possible, but <laughs> in the old Roman culture, you did not put your hand over your heart when you stood up in front of the Senate to say that you're telling the truth, to swear and take an oath or whatever. You didn't raise your right hand. Like we go into court and put our hand on the Bible. Yeah. Even our secular society now, we still have that tradition. You put your hand on the Bible when you take oath that you're going to speak the truth. They will stand up in a court or the Senate and literally hold their own genitals. That means I'm telling you the truth. Or if not, then. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What we talked about with the, uh, what was that? Oh, the, the animals cut in half. That tradition of taking promises and oath that if you don't keep your side of the oath, this is what made this happen to you. And if this, I think also kind of goes along with it, that if you are, uh, your hand is under this man's euphemistic thigh, you're swearing that you're going to do something. If you don't keep this oath, may you become sterile and not have any seed. Well, I was going to say, I was reading up about it too, and it said that um, <clears throat> based on tradition, that if if you make an oath by doing that and say Eliezer did not complete the oath given, then the seed would uh, seek revenge or get revenge on. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, so it was basically saying, you know, I'm putting my whole faith in this, and if I don't come through, then um, I could be killed by... You know, the seed that, you know, my hands. You also see why he's saying, uh, what if she don't want to come? Because it's going to look like I didn't do anything. I didn't try. <laughs> yeah. I could go there, ask her, and she really did say I don't want to come. I come back to you, and you can say, did, did you really even go there? <laughs> and then there I am. Yeah. So. So you're pretty much putting your life on the line, technically. Yeah. Yeah. So. So this, <laughs> interestingly enough, led me into some primate studies. Is this a part of man's culture only? No, it's a part of primate cultures. 
some primates, two males. It, uh, in different ways, it was listed as testing their relationship. How much are you going to tolerate from me is almost what it's saying. But two males will grab and hold each other genitals <laughs> and make a pact hmm. against another male. It's almost a uh, allyship hmm. an agreement that we will bond together to fight a common enemy. So uh, there was that. And then I, I just recently, it, it is not out yet, but I recently wrote a devotion for some other subject in Luke involving the capuchin monkeys of Costa Rica. <laughs> they will poke their fingers in each other's eyes. <laughs> Instead of saying, you know, like, I really like you. Can I kiss you? Can I hug you? Can I hold your hand? They'll poke their fingers in each other's eyes up to the first knuckle, at least. <laughs> so that's wild. But it's uh, some of the article basically in both directions, both these two covenants, uh, uh, monkey covenants, their culture. Both of them were kind of like, how much will you stand this? How long will you take this before you are ticked off and tell me, bam, slap me in the face, <laughs> get out of here. But when you got two monkeys that will poke their fingers in each other's eyes and leave them there for a minute or so, and neither one of them fights the other one back, they're reestablishing as much as I make you uncomfortable, you still like having a relationship with me. You still want to be close with me out of all these other monkeys because they all look the same anyway, right? Right. <laughs> but uh, so that's the kind of thing there that is, I, I got into looking at that as odd as this looks like, in their culture, it seems to be a very normal thing. That <laughs> That's so weird. That's interesting, though. But that's why I also bring the Romans in, because it's in their culture, too. I'm glad, but why did we get rid of this, this habit of culture? <laughs> right. And why did we ever do this as mankind? Why did we ever think to do this in the first place? Yeah. Either way. Because if you don't come through with this, then you know what's going to happen, right? I mean, <laughs> you're... So, I mean, it was normal at some time, but I'm, I'm glad it's not normal now. <laughs> we'll shake on it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll shake on it. I tell the guy about this at work, so occasionally I look at him and say, I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> uh, either way, so moving on to, that was uh, ritual and oath, number one. Number two is travel. I think I'll go ahead and say, and looking at Jesus... Um, probably don't have anything travel there. We'll look at it when we get to it. See if you come up with something, maybe pop in your head. But uh, travel, we are talking about the servant took ten camels. Mm -hmm. As I look at the picture type through this, once you apply a picture type, you have to start asking yourself, okay, well if Abraham is God the Father, and Isaac is God the Son, Eliezer is God the Holy Spirit, who's going to retrieve a bride for the Son, sent by the Father. And we get to Rebecca, and we end up seeing that Rebecca is the church. And what are these camels? And why does it give us the detail that 10 are there? So I'm looking again, honestly, like, oh, 10. Do these camels in some way fit the law? So I'm going to go ahead and, and picture type them right now and label them as the law. Because as I kept that in mind and kept looking through the, this passage, this whole story, the camels kind of fit the law more and more. 
And it's kind of funny some of the phrases that are around the camels. Go ahead. I was going to say uh, Matthew 25 about the 10 virgins. Okay, let's look at it for a second. Okay. <clears throat> uh, you got to make this fit because I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I don't either. It just <laughs> okay. it popped in my head. So Matthew 25, I'm just going to read it real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps, went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. For then, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come and meet him. Then all the virgins rose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for the lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go to the dealers and buy some for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast, and their door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I don't know you. Watch therefore, you never know the day or nor the hour. I don't know if anything popped in your head, but you just said 10 camels, and I thought, isn't didn't Jesus talk about 10 virgins um, dealing with the bridegroom? So there it is. <laughs> but I, I'm I would, not going to comment because honestly, while you're reading, I'm saying, Lord, if you want me to see something, show it to me, and I don't really see anything. So I don't either. I'm not going to add something. Okay. <laughs> if, if we, we, you know, if the listener wants to look at, listen to it more or look into it more, they can. But you write uh, us and you tell us. Yeah, there you go. So <laughs> anyway, all right. Going back to your camels. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, I mean, I haven't met many camels, but that's my best. That's my only camel word, really. Yeah. I don't know what it means either. I just <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's say I looked a while ago at, or we talked a while ago about the camels going about 10 miles, or excuse me, three to four miles an hour, two, three miles an hour, 40 day trip. So next thing about camel, camel is gamal, comes from the root gamal. The meaning of this root is kind of odd because uh, as I'm already deciding in my mind when I'm Working on this, okay, camels are the law. I'm going to see if that works at all. What is the law, in a way? The meaning of this root word is to recompense, to repay, or to deal fully with. It's about paying a debt. (laughs) So the the camels are the law, and bam, the root word means to pay a debt and take care of what your issue is, you know, Hmm. with somebody. Uh. Either way, I just I just found that extremely interesting. They do that. So number one was ritual and oath. Number two is about travel. Number three is about prayer. Kind of short here, but uh, he, that being the servant, and we'll say Eliezer, he prays to Yahweh to bring the bride that has been ordained or appointed. He's wanting one that has been set up and already made ready. Genesis 24, 14, and all this is really about, is in chapter 24. But 14, let the young woman to whom I say, uh, shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and whom shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one who you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So. Just keep it in your back pocket. 
the idea of appointed or anointed or ordained. You're set aside. You're made ready for a particular purpose. As a, you know, this woman is set aside. She walks up. She's doing her own thing. She walks up and this guy starts a conversation with her. Well, then he finds out God has really laid it out for him. Uh, he is seeking someone based on their character, though. Somebody who will serve a stranger when they will approach them with a need. He's, although he's not actually looking for like a little hottie, like I'm, I know, I know Isaac. He's a young guy. I'm going to give him a good looking woman. That's not what he's looking for. Yeah. He's looking for a woman who is a good person. She just happens to be awesome hot. <laughs> right? right. So, but that's another thing though, that God just does. We see that all through the Bible. Abraham, old as dirt. His wife is still good looking. <laughs> Isaac, when he gets old, his wife is still known as, as good looking. Jacob got Rachel. She's good looking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got my wife. You got yours. Yeah. They're good looking. And I I did notice when I got saved and was thinking to myself, okay, uh, I want a wife who's a Christian. Going back to the church, what an idiot. If you're not saved and you're looking for wives out in bars and stuff, those women are covered in makeup and smoke and yeah. <laughs> everything else. And they're, they're, they're hunting everything in the world, just like any person is lost. Come to the church and find a woman who knows what, what's really going on in life. For some reason, God makes them beautiful. <laughs> yeah. The same person can come here who was not beautiful out in the world. They come into the church and they start seeking him. He makes people beautiful yeah. physically to the eyes. It's just a, just a thing he does. Yeah. So, I agree. Uh, either way, there's the, my advice for single men out there. <laughs> <laughs> Get saved and go to church. Get saved and go to church. Look for a woman who loves God. Because you can't go looking for a good-looking woman. you got to look like Eliezer did for a woman who's a good woman. Right. Who's really doing this stuff. Uh, let's see. Just to quote him exactly, what did he say? He's looking for a woman who will not only give him a drink, but want to water all of his camels. <laughs> That's a pretty big demand. Very specific, too. And, and Yeah, well, yeah. Specific and big. And you're expecting a lot of this stranger just. <laughs> yeah. You can almost say maybe it's maybe it's normal culture if you ask. If a stranger asks you for a drink of water and you've got a jug of water on your head, that you'll take it down and give them a drink. But that they'll do this thing for your, your entire camel clan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. There is a, a really super neat picture type in this section right here, too. Let's look at uh, her first, and then we'll talk about that. There, there's a picture type of the Christian, the individual Christian, instead of her being Rebecca, being the church, because she's the bride. But So the bride is going about her regular day. 24-16 says... The young woman was by very attractive, the maiden who had no matter She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. She's just doing what she's supposed to be doing that time of day. She's just going about her life. Yeah. It's the same thing that maybe, I mean, we'll, we'll hear this again when we look at Jesus as this picture or how this picture type applies to him. But we are just going about our days and the Holy Spirit comes along sometime in our life and our, our span of years and says, hey, you want to come meet my master? You want to come meet the son? And kind of tries to beckon us in, but we're just going about our regular stuff. The servant pursues her. It says in twenty four seventeen, the servant ran to meet her. 
which is kind of neat. You get, uh, oh, we'll hold that off too. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I keep wanting to, I keep thinking in both lines at the same time. So I'm trying to shut up. <laughs> she's, let's see, she's going about a regular day. The servant pursues her. She's physically beautiful. She's pure. Uh, twenty four sixteen tells us a maiden whom no man had known. So she is not married and no man's been with her. She's still a virgin. She's a hard worker, persisting until the end of the work, persisting until it's all done. Twenty four twenty. When he asked this uh, specific thing about the camels, so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. So, I mean, she's got a big job in front of her, but she's not given up until it's finished completely. Yeah. And last one about her, the servant was going to bless her even before he asked if she was the one. I just saw that like, uh, let's see, I think it's 22, 24, 22. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels. He took the bracelets and everything out already. Then, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? So he's concerned about her lineage, but he's already, at least if she's not in the right lineage, like Abraham said, get a woman from our descendants, our family. If she's not in that family, he's at least going to give her something and bless her anyway for the way she's acted. Pretty cool there. The picture type I wanted to look at of the Christian for a second is, so remembering that Abraham is the father, Isaac is the son. This is God the Father, God the Son. Eliezer is the the Holy Spirit. He's the helper. He's going to get a bride for the son. The bride is Rebecca. But where's the Christian in this? Because Rebecca really is the church. Like a, I mean, this like the hive. It's it's a unified, pluralistic, singularity kind of concept. Right. The hive is a singular noun, but it includes all the bees or all the ants. So where I found this was I was doing a study in the end of Ecclesiastes and it talks about the golden bowl. I think it's the picture is the the word I followed right there. Where did they put Ecclesiastes? In the Bible. <laughs> that's after, where I'm looking. After Proverbs. That's where I'm looking. It's after, Ecclesiastes 12. After Proverbs. Uh, 12.6, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the cistern. So I was just doing some different word studies and tracing out where these go. The pitcher that is shattered, pitcher is is pronounced cod. I'll call it cad. The cad here is broken. But where I find it throughout the scripture when I'm looking at it first is it shows up here in this story with Rebecca. Her water jar is a cad. What does she do with the water jar? It is filled up with water and she pours it out. Then she goes and fills it up again. Then she pours it out. She fills it up again. She pours it out. This is the Christian. The church is here to fill up the Christian, so they can pour it out. We come to church, we get filled with what? Water is a picture of Holy Spirit. So we are supposed to come to church and get filled so we can go back out to the camels, (laughs) go back out to the world, and pour it back out. 
and come back to the church, get filled up to go back out to the camels, go back out to the world to pour it out. Come back in, fill it up, pour, go back out, pour it out. Hmm. The, 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 the jar here, the jug is safe. It's being used. It's the first mention of this word. It is a new Christian in the church. The next one was uh, is it Gideon. Gideon has these 300 men, and they're going to go down and attack this massive army in the valley. And they split up into, I think it's three groups of 100. Is that right? They have a torch in a jar, in a cad. This I'm just following the cad through Scripture. They have a torch in the cad. Gideon says, at the right time, you're going to break the cad, and the torch is going to shine. The torch is what? It's fire. Fire is a picture of the Holy Spirit again. Water is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and fire is a picture of the Holy Spirit. But inside the cad, which we can picture this almost like an earthenware vessel, which is a picture of us. But the, the Christian comes to the church, gets filled up with water, goes back to the world, pours it out. In the picture of Gideon, the Christian has within them the fire of the Holy Spirit. And at that story, the cad is broken. The Holy Spirit is shining out. And at the point where the Holy Spirit, like you don't put water in it and pour it out, water and pour it out, and then put fire in it and put it out, fire in it and put it out. You see the picture here when the Holy Spirit becomes a little more stronger in us, we have it in us. It becomes what we are almost. But if you picture the jar as ourselves, break yourself and leave. Because you don't read about Gideon and all his men going back and picking up the pieces later off the side of the mountain. They, They break the jar and they leave it. And they trample it and run on down to the battle, and they're successfully and they are successful and win. What's the next place? Maybe the the last place is uh, Ecclesiastes twelve six. I'm going to go to Ecclesiastes twelve six. The concordance on that one, and then down to the CAD Genesis twenty four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different verses. Judges 7, that's the story of Gideon. One, two, three verses. It has it also in 1 Kings 17. One, two, three, four verses. One, one into 18. One verses in 18. This is about uh, Eliah going to the widow she has a jar of flour <clears throat> and a jug of oil. It's a different word for the jug this time. The oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit there, right? Mm-hmm. The flour is a picture of Jesus. I'm not going to pretend to try to stretch it and make it work. <laughs> In the end, though, Ecclesiastes 12.6, this picture, which we have followed this picture from uh the water from the well to the trough for the camels. It's the this the the Christian being used as the new Christian being filled up in the church and learning how to go out to the to the world to pour themselves out, but eventually learning that they if they are broken completely, the Holy Spirit can shine out completely. Mm-hmm. But in this very last piece here at death, our very last picture here in Ecclesiastes twelve six, at death the picture is shattered completely at the fountain. Just just a neat thing, but to me in this this whole Genesis twenty four story, uh the picture that she is using is the Christian, the individual Christian. Very insignificant little piece of the story, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs>
used by the church as a whole to feed the world, but very insignificant, the jar itself. I mean, we don't actually, they don't go on and talk about the jar in <laughs> in detail and stuff, right? All right. So that was um, meeting the bride, meeting the family. And I had given you uh, point one, ritual and oath. Point two, travel. Point three is prayer. Point four is meeting. And when we talk about the bride, here is meeting the family. Still inside point four. Uh, her family, this is pretty simple stuff right here. Her family is the world. They're not in the... Uh, they're not in the 12 tribes of Jacob kind of inclusion. Uh, Israel is in. They're not in uh, Ishmael's cast out 12 sons, those tribes. He's not, they're not in those. But here is uh, Abraham's brother Nahor having 12 sons that are kind of an in-between unclaimed group of 12, eight sons and by a wife and four by a concubine. But they basically represent just the world out there. She comes out of that just like every single Christian does. She's coming out of the world. She will answer the call to come out of the world and go with the servant to meet the son. Her family was most interested. She's interested when she meets the man and he says what well, he's there for. The family's most interested when they see the gold. We don't read any comment about her reaction to the gold. She don't like, oh, you brought me gold. Yeah, we're at my house. <laughs> So she didn't do that, but her brother Laban does. So uh, meeting the family, just like, I mean, walk outside and go to the gas station or the mall and say hey to somebody. You just met the family, <laughs> the world out there. Number five point is the deal. So there's an exchange for the bride. There's a bride price. So a bride price is negotiated and accepted by the family or the world. In, in a sense, when you before you become part of the bride, you are the world. So when the servant comes to you, he negotiates with you in a way to tell you what he's offering you. You make a decision if that's the uh, negotiation you want or a deal you want to accept. Mm. In doing that, coming into the bride, you are in a way taking the bride price. Mm. And and we'll see that the bride price, how the bride price is paid, we apply all these to Jesus in a minute anyway, no. which you can already guess. <laughs> uh, the deal, the camels. If they're a picture of the law, 2432, what does that say? So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water for his feet. It goes on about him then. So what happens to the camels? They are unharnessed. They're kind of untied. They're let loose. And then they're fed their requirement. They need some food. The law needs something. To satisfy it, right? It is fed in this in this picture right here. So the camels are taken care of, and then after the this is another thing that's kind of like wow. After the the camels are unharnessed, after the law is in a sense untied, after the camels are fed the required food, what they need, after the law is given its requirement, there is water for washing. Mm. So right after <laughs> they give them straw and fodder. There was water to wash his feet and the feet of the man, men who were with him. So kind of a baptism picture there. So we're still looking at the, what's that? It's pretty neat. 
it's yeah, just as I would look at one thing, the next detail would just fall in my lap and it's like, wow. <clears throat> so, and, and they, <laughs> it's funny how often these picture types, the details will fall in order. They don't, they're not just random in the, in the, sometimes they are random in the stories when you look at the Old Testament, but a lot of the time it'll be written in literal order of how it should be happening if we're picturing typing or picture typing it over to uh, the New Testament. So in this deal, there's an exchange, a bride price, the camels, the law was taken care of. There's washing for water. And the servant says, my master is rich and so is his son, (laughs) (laughs) which is honestly what in the deal that the Holy Spirit comes to us and offers. He's letting us know my master is rich and so is his son. (laughs) (laughs) This part of the the offer, I guess people don't believe it. If we if we believed it, if we understood it one or the other. Maybe if we did understand it, we would believe it. Yeah. If we did believe it, we come to understand it. But uh, I don't know. Before you, before you believed in Christ, did you have any understanding how rich God is? Yeah. Is that something you even thought of? No. Yeah, I didn't either. No. So I definitely didn't understand it. No, I just, assu- uh, I mean, I just figured there was a God out there, and that was pretty much it. I mean, I never thought about where he was or how big the galaxy was or being heir to all that. It just, yeah, it's a kind of foreign concept to just a natural born person. Yeah. I did think as a kid though, when I went to church and we gave offering, why does God want this money? <laughs> Cause I reasoned out to myself as far as I know what God, what they're telling me God is here. He can't use this money. It doesn't do anything. I mean, I understand completely different than now, sure. but, as a kid, I'm thinking rich means money. So why would God want money? So I didn't associate the concept of rich at all with God before actually reading the Bible. <laughs> uh, the sought after woman has a choice. I mean, just like uh, this is, I guess, where we, uh, some people listening, if you are a Calvinist, you, you're mad, but I don't agree with you. Sorry. I just say that real flat out and easy and keep on going. <laughs> yeah. But this woman here, who's a picture type of the church, has a choice to come with the, the servant or not to meet the son. And she could just as easily have said no. Maybe you would say it's ordained that she would say no, but <laughs> maybe you say it's ordained she would say yes. But she did. As far as we're reading here, they said, will you go with this man? This is verse uh, 20, uh, 58. And she said, I will go. Yeah. This is like a yes, no question choice to me. So I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Uh, point five and six under this deal. 25 or 2451. The world gives 2455. It tries to take it back <laughs> or put it off. Let's see. 51 says, uh, this is Laban talking. Starting with 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the, uh, the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, good or bad. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. And then, what was the other one? 55. Her brother and her mother. I, th- this is something maybe, though. The, the brother and the father said, take her, sure. The brother and the mother, she's like, wait, wait a minute. Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. <laughs> There's your 10 thing again, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, insert 
comment about the law here. <laughs> so, but uh, the world gives and the world tries to take it back or tries to put it off. I've never met anybody like this, but you, you hear pastors say, if you think you're waiting till you're going to get saved when you're older, if you think you can put it off. I've never per- met a person who, but I, I can say I've met one. I met one in Costa Rica. We sat in his house and witnessed to him over the week that we were there in that neighborhood. We went back to his house three times, I believe, altogether. Mm. And he just, he, I think he mentally, intellectually understood what we were talking about, but basically said he was not ready to make that jump. He even admitted to us, this is my sin that I do in my life. I'm not ready to give it up. I think he, he was addicted to drugs of some kind, but he was real open and honest about admitting this is what I do, and I, I believe I can't do that after I become a Christian, so I don't want to become a Christian because I'm not ready to stop doing that yet. So probably one of the more honest people I've ever witnessed to. Yeah, I had a friend who was, who was a drug dealer, and um, he believed in God, believed in Jesus, believed in the Bible. Um, he he hated cops <laughs> for obvious reasons, and uh, he uh, he loved money so much, and he, he was— very, I mean, we had a good relationship, good friendship, and um, he, you know, I asked him, you know, about Jesus, and we talked about God and stuff, and he simply told me, he's like, not yet. Mm. He said, I know if I know if I get saved, God's gonna want two things from me. I gotta submit, and I gotta give him my money, because those are two things I love more than anything, and I know he's gonna ask for it. <laughs> he said, I'm not ready to give it up yet. Like he, he he was honest, and he understands truly. Yeah, and he 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 told me he says, and he he told me if I die, I know I'm going to hell. So I don't want to, but I just can't give this up yet. <clears throat> and we talked for a long time one night, and he, I mean, you can't really make a promise, but he you know said, Mark, I promise you, I'll I'll make things right before I die. Well, I mean. He's still alive, but yeah. I mean, you can't really make that promise. But he's he's conscious to know um, God's requirement and you know where he's going or you know the whole stuff. Mm. That's that's uh, I'm not gonna say that's sad. It's he may be one of the most. Uh, I mean, I already said that he's one of the most honest people you've you've witnessed to honest uh, truly, but. Yeah. It's said that he may wait too late, yeah. but all in all, uh, he has more understanding than the person who's been born and raised in the quote-unquote Christian family, because you're not born Christian. Right. You're taken to church and told that you were Christian, and you do nothing at all Christian with your whole life. You do nothing that is <laughs> Christian, Yeah. but you've been told you are Christian your whole life. I mean, which one's closer to God? <laughs> right. I, I know that he has consciously rejected <clears throat> Jesus in, in the statement you're given there about him, but yeah. which one has actually truly seen God or known God or coming in any kind of contact at all to really know what it's about. Right. And, and <clears throat> you know, not, not to get on a soapbox, but I remember I may have said this before, but one night um, we were at someone's house and he wanted to be left alone, which was weird. Um, he asked the, the guy, he's like, kind of go in this extra room that he had. And um, so he went in that room, shut the door, and he just sat on the bed, and his face was buried in his hands. And we're all having a good time. And I just kind of looked over and saw him. And 
he's pacing back and forth and I see him talking. I'm like, who's he talking to? What's it? What's it? So I walk in there and I just open the door. I'm like, you okay? He says, no. And I'm like, you want to talk? He said, no, not right now. And he's crying. I mean, this is a, a big boy <laughs> drug dealer, um, fights and all. And he just broke down crying. And so I shut the door and I just kind of listened. He's talking to God. And so I'm like, oh, man, I don't know, you know, what's going on. Um, probably 30 minutes to an hour later, he comes out, wipes his tears, says, hey, can we go? Yeah, sure. So we're in we're in his Mercedes and we're driving. He's quiet. I'm quiet. I don't know what to say. And so if I'm like, you, do you want to talk? He says, well, and he shares something. I don't, I'm not going to share it here. Um, but he shares some personal things that were pretty, he never told anybody and they were pretty hurt, hurt hurting hurtful and um i said well you ready to come to jesus you know i use that as an opportunity and he says i really want to i really want to but i can't so why and that's when he's like i can't give up i I, there's something i just struggle giving up this money i i i can't give it up and i had such a strong hold i'm like were you talking he said i was talking to god and i told god god I want to follow you, but I just can't give up my money. And he said, God, God's dealing with me right now, and I don't know how to react. Which was the weirdest thing, yeah. conversation. And I didn't know how to respond. It's like, I mean, God's working on him. There's nothing else I can do. Yeah. And he's battling this. And um, so it was just a little strange overall night about that. But On that note, though, <clears throat> I mean. <laughs> if you're single and you want to look for a, a good-looking, devoted, nice woman, you come to church. Well, if you want more money, come to God and give Him all your money. <laughs> well, that's a good. <laughs> I'm point. speaking from experience. Yeah, you give your money away when God says give it away, and then what you didn't give away yet, what you still have in your hand, seems to multiply. And you don't need a calculator to figure it out because it doesn't work on a calculator. That's, that's <laughs> Philip. Yeah, that's Philip. Feed all these people, and Philip gets his calculator out. <laughs> no, just give them what you have. Right. But I'm I'm, I'm not talking to that guy because he's not listening. I'm just telling whoever's listening. If, you, if you're if you not tithing, if you're not doing what you think God wants you to do with your money, if you want more money and you're afraid of not having money, you should give your money to God. Give it away. When he says give it to somebody, you give it to somebody, and then he takes what you still got left over. He, he takes care of you. Yeah. yeah. It, he just does it. Yeah. It just happens and it works. <laughs> yeah. That's all we can say. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. So what the, the Isaac episode Sorry. is about, if you want money and women. <laughs> well, hey, that's a come good, to God. <laughs> good sermon topic. Bible money study and on. women and faith like a teenage girl. <laughs> there you go. Uh, last thing I've got is meeting Isaac. When the bride sees the sun, she gets down off her camel. When the bride sees the sun, she gets off the camel. So who are the picture types? When the church comes to the sun. Off the world, out of the world. They get out, yeah, they get off the world, get out of the world, get away from the law. There's no need for the law anymore. She don't need to ride the camel anymore. Yeah. The camels are a picture of the law. She don't need the law anymore. There's no rules. I, I mean, do you see rules in place in heaven? No. I just think that There's we There's no will, need. We're doing no need. We're going to be without sin. 
So the rules that would be in place, we're not going to break them because we won't have any sins. So they're really not. A, it's not really not a rule. Yeah, I know this. I know this phrasing sounds a little strange. So maybe you can fix it. But um, you know, it's like um, I'll twist your words somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but uh, you know, crud, I forgot my train of thought. Sorry. Um, no, you're good. Um, okay, go back to what you were saying. Just uh, is there rules in heaven, and there won't be a sin nature, so we're not going to try to break the rules. Even if there were rules, so since we wouldn't break them anyway, there really isn't. You yeah, wouldn't call it a rule. So if we're in heaven, we don't need rules because God's the rulership. God's the the law. And yes, God did give the law, but it was an unattainable law. Yeah. If uh, I don't really know, and how the only way to attain it is through the blood of Christ, <laughs> through God, through yeah. God Himself, offering Himself as a man through flesh which that's the only way we can get to heaven. So if you show up in heaven, the law was answered for your life. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have need of it. You can get off of it. <laughs> get off your camel. Get off your <laughs> There's another sermon title. <laughs> get off your camel. And we're just, we're just cracking them out. <laughs> uh, let's see. When the bride sees the sun, she gets that off her camel. When the bride was brought by the servant, of the father to meet the son, there is a consummation between the two within the tent of the mother, that being Sarah. Yeah. And that will apply in just a moment as we layer all this <clears throat> to Jesus. Cool. So looking at, uh, here's the, the, the points again, then point one, ritual and oath. Point two is travel. Point three, prayer, the prayer that he prays for the bride. Uh, point four, Four is the meeting, meeting the bride, meeting the family. Point five is the deal, all the bride price exchange, uh, et cetera. Point six is meeting Isaac, so meeting the son. Mm-hmm. So this this outline is exactly the same almost. Uh, the servant who is the Holy Spirit goes to get Jesus' bride. Ritual oath, number point number one. He observed all rituals and oaths that were necessary. <laughs> Uh, all the rituals and those, I guess, for what in Jesus' life, what he did is the law itself. But I had two points within that. That was uh, the first one was okay, swear under the, the thigh, swearing and submission. I don't know how you want to say Jesus swore to the oath, but he just flat kept it. Yeah, he yeah. just did what was needed for the ritual of the law. Uh, he he did that through submission to it. Here's the one I don't have a clue how it uh, applies: is travel. He got on a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> what more do you want? <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking because uh, there there is some other places I was wanting to look at in Genesis 22. There are not camels. There are donkeys there. But, uh, excuse me, there is a donkey there. But they actually go to the mountain on a donkey. Jesus comes to Jerusalem where the mountain is on a donkey. And it's later on where he is uh, sacrificed. But I didn't want to get into all that, honestly. I just, this has the same outline. So I was going to try to say, oh, how does it apply? I'm just going to say number point number two, travel. I don't know how it applies. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. Uh, everything else layers so easily. Uh, still, though, if the camels are the law, the camels are the things that are 
traveled on in a way. Yeah. They are the, the, the automobile. They're what Jesus is coming to us through and in. He is riding on that. That is what makes him worthy of being the payment yeah, for the I mean, rituals. The law pretty much points to Jesus. I mean, yeah, we wouldn't know, we wouldn't care about his sacrifice if we didn't know we were guilty. How we were guilty right. by the law. So, right. it, so I guess he did ride the camels. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, point number three: prayer. As Eliezer prayed to Yahweh God for a bride, Jesus prays to Yahweh to bring the bride that has been ordained or appointed, John 17. And that's basically what he's praying there is, yeah. uh, God, bring them all and take care of them, protect them, make them love one another so the world will see that. And he then he does pray after praying for those that are in the church, he prays for those that are in the world that will be a part of the church in the future. So he's praying for a bringing of the bride. Yeah. Uh, in prayer, let's see. I just basically took this outline and copied it down twice. I had time to change some of it. I don't have time to change the other parts of it. So let's see. The second part of prayer, he prays to Yahweh for, to bring the bride. He's also seeking someone based on their character. Maybe not before he accepts them, but after he accepts or excuse me, after we accept him, he is seeking to change our character. He is seeking seeking to change us into a person who will repeatedly fill up our jug and go pour it out for this stranger's camel. That's the kind of person he wants uh, to be in his bride in the church. Meeting. Let's see. The meeting between the Holy Spirit and Rebecca, or excuse me, Eliezer and Rebecca the Holy Spirit and the bride. She's going about her regular day. Like we said a while ago, we're going about our regular day and suddenly the Holy Spirit shows up and says, you want to meet the son? You want to meet Jesus? And some people say, no, I love my money. I don't want to. And some people say, I'm on rock bottom. I got nothing. Well, let's go. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, there's the choice there. The servant pursues her. The servant ran to meet her. The servant in a way right here is Luke 15, the prodigal's father idea. He, I mean, even though the, the that son used to be in the household left and is now coming back, there is this sense that we are coming back to God. We were always meant to be with God, you know, right. from the beginning. But the servant runs to meet her. Uh, this is the prodigal father idea. And in, the, in that story, the prodigal's father is, is God. So a picture type of. She's beautiful. Uh, different places that talks about the bride. We're going to be awesome looking. Yeah. Blameless. And- Even us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Blameless leads to the next point. She's pure. Uh, we will be pure then. Uh, she's a hard worker persisting until the work is done. This might be some things some Christians can work on. <laughs> a thing that some Christians can work on. Of course, what you and I have talked about before, uh, some of us are made to start projects and we don't finish things. Some of us are made to take a project somebody else has started and we can get the bulk of the middle done. And we have a hard time coming up with something out of nowhere to start a project. Yeah. We have a hard time completing a project to the very end and saying, okay, it's complete. And some people can take a project that's almost finished and say, all you need to do is tie these two ends up and it's <laughs> complete. So- Different people are different ways, but 
overall, the servant uh, or the, the woman here is a hard worker who continues going until the job is completely done. What I have found in my work, because I'm trying my best to make a good face so I can witness to a customer, but most often what I hear after I'm successful at completing a job is that nobody else has taken this long. So it just says to me, if you're not finished yet and you quit, then you fail. <laughs> if you're not finished yet and you're still going at it, you're not failed. You're just still going at it. You go to the very last nail is put in and the very last whatever, the very last stroke of paint, yeah. whatever it is you're doing, you go to the very last thing and then, then it is done. But I was thinking like to go to the end. Rebecca was doing her task <clears throat> and when her task was complete, feeding the camels. Then she was taken to the sun. So we're taken to the sun <laughs> when our task is completed. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. Uh, the family meeting the family, same stuff. I didn't change any of these here at all. The church being her, her family is the world. There's something for you. Hmm. <laughs> when, we, when people get in the church and become separated from the world, you're separating yourself from the family that you came from. Yeah, that's a good point, too. You're not going back out into the world trying to get any of them to, to come. Uh, either way, I remember going at, uh, after I got saved, I was going to my brother's church down in Anderson for some, maybe it was Tuesday and Thursday nights, or maybe it's just Tuesday night every week for a Bible class. And uh, I had a friend from my previous religious life who lived on the way there down in Anderson. And I would go by her house and knock. And she wasn't home, I guess, truly the first time. I left her a note. And we were both, you know, pagan together. We were both Wiccans together, whatever you want to call it. We were both students of two. Uh, our teachers were basically just the generation before us buddies in this religion. Hmm. So they were each our teachers. And then... Uh, she had separated, I think, from her husband, and I divorced from my first wife. She and I hung out all the time. I would go meet her, and she'd come meet me down in Greenville, and whatever the little place is that has dartboards and pool tables upstairs and good pizza downstairs. I forget what it's called, but we used to go up there all the time and, and meet and hang out for a couple of hours together. But once I got saved, I never saw her again. Mm. But that first time she wasn't there, when I knock on her door, I leave her a note telling her, so it's not a surprise, I'm not springing something on her, but just telling her, uh, I hadn't seen you in a while and a lot of stuff's happened in life, but I'm going to some Bible classes down here at my brother's church who's near you. I go on X nights every week, et cetera, at this time. So I'll, uh, here's my number now, it changed, never called me. Hmm. And every Tuesday or whatever it was for the rest of the time I was in that class, I would go to her house afterwards, knock on the door, and she was never home or never answered. Mm. <laughs> I lost all my Christian, Christian friends when I got saved. I lost all my pagan <laughs> friends when I got saved. <laughs> they were all the same. <laughs> um, next point on the family is she, that being the church, will answer the call to come out of the world and go with the servant to beat the sun. So that's the same exact wording. Didn't change it. Her family was most interested in the gold. <laughs> the world is most interested in, in money. Mm. 
and the, and that kind of the money and power prestige. Yeah. And we don't read. I'll just say it again too. We don't read any comment about her reaction to the gold. If she's the church, and the gold is the the money, power, prestige of the world, she doesn't make any comment about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure she looked at it and said, oh, that's, that's pretty," but she doesn't actually say. It's not a big deal to her. It doesn't mean anything to her. Right. Point five, the deal. An exchange, and I'm reading the same words basically again, but I'm just tacking on a little something at the end. An exchange for a bride, a bride price is negotiated and accepted by the family world, family slash world. So as we said, you were part of the family. You're part of the world before the Holy Spirit, the helper. Eliezer, before he comes to you and says, hey, you want to meet the son, makes you all these promises, etc., tells you what the deal is. And, oh, there's a bride price, too. It's been paid. You can come out of the world and become part of the bride. The bride price was paid, of course, on the cross. The law is taken care of. The law is unharnessed. The law is released, in a sense. They are fed their requirement. The law is fed its requirement. Uh, all this is happening, of course, by the, the cross, by the action of Jesus. Then after the cross, there is a washing of water. This, like we said, is a baptism. The servant says in the deal, my master is rich, and so is his son. Like we already discussed that. Right. The sought-after woman has a choice to come or not. We already discussed that. I mean, it applies directly over. The world gives... And it tries to take it back. <laughs> I mean, we call it a backslider in the church, right? Yeah. But the world gives, and uh, after the, the person gets saved, becomes part of the bride, the devil keeps trying to come back and take that person back up to Haran. <laughs> let's go back. Let's go back home. Let's <laughs> go back what we were doing before. So point number six was meeting Isaac. Point six here is meeting Jesus. The bride sees the son. She gets down off the camel. We already discussed how that applies over. When the bride brought by the servant of the father to meet the son, I left something out grammatically there. That reads odd. <laughs> <laughs> when the bride is brought by the servant of the father to meet the son, there is a consummation between the two within the tent of the mother. We're told in Galatians that the Jerusalem above, the spiritual Jerusalem, is our mother, not Sarah. So it goes right over. Uh, once we accept the bride price, we've completed all our task. We're taken home, that being when we're taken to meet the son. Uh, the relationship between us and Jesus will be, however this applies in heaven, I don't know, but our relationship with him will be consummated, yeah. which, of course, means in fleshly terms between a man and a wife, they are married in a ceremony. They go to the courthouse to get a, a license, right. married by a priest because they believe in some religion. That guy is ordained by that religion to do it. All that ceremony, but what we see here is no ceremony to make her his bride. There is physical sex that seals the deal. Right. So, like I said, I don't know, and I don't think, I and mean, that's stupid almost to say that yeah. that will be the same thing in heaven between us, the bride, and Christ. But there's some kind of consummation. Right, and I would, I would probably lean still to say it's some kind of local local union, and I mean like my body is taking up a space, his body is taking up a space, 
are we going to take up the same space in some way? There's a there's a touching I'm I'm saying there. Right. But uh, I don't know. This gets back in some of those odd things where you try to reason out in your brain, like <laughs> yeah, that ain't gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How is Jesus God, who is infinitely uh, omnipresent, meaning all places, and in a physical body? I don't know. <laughs> no, but, that's the best answer for. But will we be like that? First John three two. When we see him, we'll be like him. Or we'll see him as he is. Yeah. I mean, walking through walls, levitation, etc., teleportation. He did all those things in his his glorified body. We'll be doing those things. I think so. But the uh, omnipresent thing, will he give us that? I don't know, but. Yeah, who knows? I mean, answers will be answered. <laughs> questions will be answered <laughs> answers will be answered <laughs> because answers raise more questions that's right <laughs> that's what I got on Isaac didn't you have something to uh, close I don't think so <laughs> I'm putting it in your lap oh I don't really know um, I mean that was pretty much Isaac I mean I do think it's interesting that Isaac is the least of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the least talked about in the Bible or really anywhere. He's just, yeah. the only time he's really talked about is when he's associated with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, yeah. But here, we, you know, we see a lot of uh, the shadowing of Christ in his life. We see a sacrifice. We see More so than Abraham and more so than Jacob. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of an interesting little tidbit um, that though he is the least talked about, there's so much information that we've kind of yeah. looked into. So. He's the thickest story. Yeah. So, uh, I guess next week or the next podcast, um, we'll hit Jacob and Esau doing a combo. I don't know. Well, we got to say apologies for we promised this podcast to kill Abraham and we didn't kill him yet. So next podcast, we're going to start with that. Yeah, we'll start with. Yeah, well, Abraham would die and then we'll move on to Jacob and Esau. We'll try to finish it in one episode. I don't know. Um, Really? Well, I was supposed to say, I don't know how <laughs> how Jacob and Esau. It's there's a lot of information because you're well. There's a lot of information, <laughs> so okay. Um, but we'll we'll see what we can do. So we'll see. I guess you. There's still more Isaac to go before we get to Jacob and Esau. Yeah, but, but he's mostly it'll kind of most bleed. of his story's done. Yeah, it'll yeah. kind of bleed on into that. Yeah. So that's it. Bye. <laughs> For listening to the Two Spies podcast with David and Mark. Don't forget to check out twospies.net for daily devotionals, writings on various topics, and separate Bible studies. Help us out by subscribing to the podcast, write a review on iTunes, and spread the word. <laughs>